this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. God, may the posture of our heart, God, match the posture of our hands, Lord. chapter 6, verse 8 through chapter 7, verse 1. Acts chapter 6, verse 8 through chapter 7, verse 1. And uh, this morning we, this morning we are going to look at this knowing, I, I got to ask you a question first. In 19, from 1982 to 1989, there was a company that was created. This was the year before I was born. But there was a company that was created called Super Soaker. Did anyone have a Super Soaker? Yep. Okay. Last time I asked the question, a few hands went up, and uh, then I explained what they were, and a few more hands went up. So Super Soaker, mine was, it was pump action, had three tanks on it, but it was just full of water, and uh, so we'd have water wars with it. Uh, so you may remember, it's like a water gun. So did anybody have a water gun? How about that? All right, cool. Did anybody give their kids a super soaker or water gun? All right, there it is. Okay, cool. So super soakers, you filled them up with water, you pumped them up, and then you could uh, technically like just spray people with water and, and have fun and, and have all those kind of wars. But, you know, anyways, uh, it was a lot of fun. So I've got this uh, little water gun here. It's uh, not a super soaker. This is like my micro soaker or something. I don't know. Uh, I've been using it all day. So have fun with it. I've been filling it up uh, or using it, and it's been fun. So let me show you what it does. I'm kidding. This thing doesn't have anything in it. I wouldn't spray them. Those are my interns. I love them. But um, so what happens here with these uh, micro soakers, if you will, is you fill them up with water, and then they shoot out water at the other person, right? Only what you fill it up with will come out of it. I'm going to ask you this morning this question. I want you to be thinking about this. What are you filled up with? What fills you up? Are you full of something? And I guess, final, what are you full of? Like, what are you full of in your life? 
And as we move into this, this guy named Stephen, we're going to look at him for the next three weeks. We're going to ask the question, what is Stephen full of and how does it affect his life? But this morning, I want to ask you, what are you full of? And know this. All right. I, now, look here. Man, sometimes I wish we didn't live stream because this is an in-house conversation, right? But for those online, give us some grace. I'm going to talk to my, talk to my church family right now real quick. Uh, I know there are times that I say a, a point for you to walk away with, and within one hour, you probably could not tell me that point, right? I get it. My wife could probably ask me, and I might forget the main point. But I try to remember these things, okay? So I want to give you a different style main point, okay? This morning, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know, if you don't fill up your water gun, you can't spray anybody and get them wet. That's all I want you to know walking away from day, right? No, I'm kidding. But here, here it is. Here it is. If you're not full of grace, truth, power, wisdom, and ultimately the Holy Spirit, how are we going to get others wet? How are we going to show other people the love of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the kindness of God, the care of God? It ought to be something that so like just shows from who we are, exudes from who we are, because the Holy Spirit in us is coming out of us. Like a water gun full of water, you can spray it and it gets on others. Our love should be able to get on others. And so I want that to prompt you. I want you to remember this. If a water gun is empty, it won't spray anybody. And if you are empty, you can't help anybody. Now, here's the key here. It's not our power, our wisdom, our might, our strength, our care, our truth, our faith. It's none of that. Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Acts chapter 6, verse 8 with me. It says, Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from some members of the Freedmen Synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and Asia, and they began to argue with Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. What was Stephen full of? Okay, so we see a couple different times where Stephen is full of something. In Acts chapter 6, verse 5, after they've selected seven deacons, uh, the apostles go and select seven deacons, and they say, Stephen, he's the first guy they mention, Stephen. And what do they say? They say he's full of, it says in verse 5, faith and the Holy Spirit. And later in verse uh, verse 8, we just saw he's full of grace and power. We're going to find out later in chapter 7, verse 55, he's full of, it says, the Holy Spirit again. This man is full of something. and, And I love it because you think about who wrote this book, Luke, a historian. He's wrote a gospel, now he's writing He wrote what happened in Jesus' life, and now he's writing what happens after Jesus' life in the life of the church as Jesus' life extends through the church, right? Well, he's a historian. He's going back, and he's looking at details. He's reading different uh, people's uh, 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 live, in-the-moment experiences with Jesus, like real-time experiences. But he's also talking to people who were there uh, when the apostles and the church was starting. He's, he's writing down all this information, compiling all this information through the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing it all together to give us the book of Acts. It's an awesome history of what happened in the early church. But you think about what Luke said about Stephen. Multiple times he says he's full of something. Stephen has something in him that Luke is able to recognize. 
Not only is Luke able to recognize it, but others must have recognized it because Luke takes that information and puts it down on paper to say, this is who Stephen was. When people look at you in your life, what are they going to write down? And if they had to ask this question, not what you did, not what your hands did, not what your mouth spoke, not where your feet went, not where you lived, not how many children you had or what your parents were like or how you dressed or anything like that, what your job was. But what if they asked this question? What were they full of? What was in them? You're like, what just shined forward through them? You couldn't get around it. Like that, that's, Stephen was full of grace. And nobody else can say anything different, right? Stephen was full of grace and power. And look at what happens because of it. And in verse 9, it says there's an opposition that arose. But in the face of opposition, look at the power and the grace and what it does in his life. Verse 10, but they were unable to stand up against. That phrase, I think that may be the key part of this, this uh, passage. And, and we just want to deliver to you what God's word has to say. Let the text preach. But man, it just looks like grace and power, opposition in front of it. They can't stand up against him. I think we often ask this question. Don't we often ask, like, how can I stand up against? Like, man, it's, it's absolutely, and I think my heart, my wife's heart shines forward through her prayers and through her worship, and it's devastating to see what's happening in Afghanistan right now. Not getting political. Like, can we, t I said this earlier, and I want to say it again. Can we talk about real things with our brothers and sisters without having to get political? These are our, remind you, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ who are, be, who are being asked if they're, Christians, followers of Jesus, and if they say yes, they're being killed. But I want, to, I want you to know this. This happens in Africa. This happens in the Middle East. This happens all over the world every single day. 100,000 to 200,000 people are killed simply because they're asked the question, do you believe in Jesus? And they answer yes. Every year. Every year, 100,000 to 200,000 people. I've said that statistic because I want to bring it up and bring it up and bring it up because the truth is when we see Stephen's life, it looks like something from the past, but the reality is it happens every day today. Every day in our culture, someone is killed because they simply answer the question, are you a Christian? With yes. The truth in them is exposed and they're killed because of it. And I think we often ask the question, how can I stand up against my tempters? How can I stand up against those who are trying to persecute me? How can I stand up but notice what, Stephen sa what it says about Stephen. They couldn't stand up against him. Church, I think we need to recognize the grace and the power, the Holy Spirit that is in us. When others may stand up against us physically, what, what can they do to us spiritually? Our, our, does the word of God not say that nothing can stand up against him? Nothing can come up against God. Nothing can overcome him. Nothing can destroy him. Nothing can destroy the kingdom. Who are we? We have the power of God in us that nothing can stand against us. And so for Stephen, it says they couldn't stand up against him. It's not that he was wondering if he could stand up against them. They couldn't stand up against him. But why? Not because of his wisdom. Not because of his power. Not because of his eloquence or or the way he spoke uh, with passion, not because of all of these things, but because the Holy Spirit lived in him. Because the power and the grace, the truth and the love that was in Stephen was not his. You see, when it's ours, we can't stand up against people. But when it's God's, they can't stand up against us. 
I think that's the difference. And I'm not talking physically. I'm not talking about taking up arms with fighting some battles physically. I'm talking about a church when the world needs to see grace and love and truth and mercy. They should be able to look at the church and go, those people right there, those, those are the people that are full of grace and truth. Those are the people that are full of grace and power. That, that's the church. Like when history books write about Westminster Baptist Church for Carroll County history books, I hope they say they're full of grace and truth. They're full of power and wisdom. They're full of the Holy Spirit. Because if so, nothing can stand up against us. If it's by our power, everything can stand up against us. Verse 11 says, Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, so they came, seized him, and took him to the Sanhedrin. You can like, I mean, can you not just hear the similarities to Jesus in this moment? I, I really love it. You're going to go throughout the story at least two more times in this passage, and for the next three weeks, we're going to see this over and over and again. Stephen is so similar to Jesus. I, I hope that in my life, people are like, man, he, he looks and acts, talks like Jesus. Like they can see Jesus in me and they can see the Holy Spirit in me. I hope that people can see that in you and in our church. That, that would be a prayer of mine that my children look at me and say, man, he was just, he was like Jesus. Not he is Jesus, not, not all that weird stuff, but he follows after Jesus. He knew Jesus' words and he, and he did what Jesus said to do. Because when you look at Stephen, man, he's so similar to, to, to Jesus. They, they, when they say anything about him, when they try to put him in a place of persecution and want to kill him and stone him to death, uh, they say he has blasphemous words against Moses and God. They said the same thing about Jesus. And then they stir up all these people trying to get everybody mad at him. I wonder in my mind, like, here's what I, one of the things I think about. How much later was this than when Gamaliel said to them, hey guys, just let them fizzle out. Their leader, Jesus, is dead. All the followers will just kind of fizzle out. If it's not real, if it's not of God, it's not going to do anything. Remember chapter 4 and 5? If it's not real, it's just going to die off. Gamaliel said that. Don't persecute them. Don't, don't try to stop them. Just let them fizzle out. And now all of a sudden they're stirring up people. They're, uh, they're making lies about, these, uh, uh, this, about Stephen particularly. And they're going to say all these false things so that they can get Stephen stoned, uh, killed for his faith. Verse 13. They also presented false witnesses who said, and now here's a really critical moment. False witnesses. That, that is an important thing for us to understand as believers. Because, man, it is not because of, it's not always like when you're doing good things, righteous things, or, or like living how you feel like God's called you to live. Like you're like, man, I go to Sunday school. I go to, I go to groups. I go to church services. Like I'm involved in ministries. I'm, I'm uh, sharing the gospel out in the community. I don't understand why things are going bad. Like it's not always when you're doing what is good that bad things happen or that like you're persecuted or anything like that. Like, I don't think the world looks at this. I know this. The world doesn't look at the church and they're like, man, they give away billions of dollars every year, trillions of dollars every year to uh, help with the impoverished or to help with widows and the orphan care. They don't look at church and they're like, they, out of the top 10 organizations in the world to care for people, we are seven of the top 10, the church is. But you don't see that anywhere. Why? Because the devil doesn't want to take good things and make them better. The devil likes to take great things and make them evil. At least he tries to twist them, right? He tries to twist what the church does. He takes the truth of the church and twists it and tries to make it a lie. He tries to take the grace of the church and twist it and make it condemnation. 
Like he wants to expose the church. See, you have two different types of churches usually. You have a church that is living in grace, and then you have a church that is living all in truth. And a lot of times we put them in different camps. We're like, man, this church is all about law and condemnation. And this church is too free and too graceful and too loving. Like they, they don't have any law and any truth, any discipline. They don't have any of these things. And, and really at Westminster Baptist Church, we're trying to find that middle ground, grace and truth. That's what Jesus said to do. We're trying to find that middle ground. But you think the devil wants us to find the middle ground? I mean, come on. The devil finds the, the grace side and shares it to the community like, man, all they do is love people. There's no truth there. The devil likes to take the truth side and expose it to the community and say, man, they're all condemnation. You don't want to walk in that place. All they're going to do is hate you. All they're going to do is judge you. All they're going to do is want to kick you out. Like the devil takes good things, grace and truth. Nothing wrong with those things. Twists them and makes them evil. And with Stephen, he raises up some false witnesses. Because the devil doesn't make good things better. He makes good things and tries to twist them into evil things. So it says, these false witnesses say, this man never stops speaking against this holy place and the law. Okay, good things, twist them into evil. What's wrong with him talking about the holy place, and the law. Nothing. In fact, like, man, if we can get people to preach about the gospel, about truth, about the church, like, that's, that's good stuff. Stephen's talking about what, they, what the Old Testament talked about a lot, the holy place, the temple, and tabernacles that were moving around. He's talking about the law and the commandments that God gave them, how to follow and find life. Like, these are good things for them to talk about. So what's wrong with this? Because they're saying it in an accusatory way because they twist good things and try to make them evil. So you can preach the gospel, but the world will twist them. Don't be surprised when you go out preaching the gospel and you're still condemned because of it. And we might think, man, I'm doing what God's called me to do. I'm going to go preach the gospel. And then we get rejected or we get persecuted and we're like, well, God, why did that happen? Because the devil doesn't like to make good things better. The devil doesn't like when you do the, what God's called you to do. He's not going to just sit back and be like, awesome. I'm glad you're doing that now right? That's not how he works. He looks at what we do, and he's like, I'm going to shut that down. I'm going to stop that. I'm going to bring up false witnesses. I'm going to bring in the Sanhedrin, if you will, from this text. I'm going to bring in the Sanhedrin to shut you down. Sanhedrin was the most powerful people in Israel. I'm going to shut them down with it. Like, the devil's not going to stop just because you do what's good. Verse 13 continues, uh, or verse 14, for we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth, which, man, that, that should just bother you. You should see that, and it just bother you. Now, there's nothing wrong with Jesus of Nazareth, obviously. There's nothing wrong with saying that. Jesus is from Nazareth. The word Nazar means root. It's a David's root. Jesse, Jesus, fulfills the law and fulfills David's uh, identity and, and, and kingship. So, man, like, that's proclaiming the gospel by saying Jesus of Nazareth. I love it. But what are they doing with it? They're saying that's Jesus, the guy who's insignificant and from that city we recognize he's a man. When what they really should do is recognize that this Jesus from Nazareth is the Lord. He is God. He's our Savior. But they can't recognize that, so they put him in this category and say, oh, that's Jesus of Nazareth, that, that guy. Now, this is your Lord. This is what Thomas recognized when he said, my God. This is God, and he says, for we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth and I'm like, man, you, you ought to be on your knees in front of this Jesus of Nazareth. 
But it says, we'll destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And you see how they twist that, right? Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But what are they going to do? They're going to pick it out and they're going to go, oh yeah, Jesus, he's coming to destroy the law. When Jesus clearly in the gospel says he's coming to fulfill it, not destroy it. And I love this because my wife prayed it. It's this truth is the gospel opens up God's kingdom to the whole world. It's what makes us the least ethnocentric and racist organization in the world because we invite every single person of every tribe, every nation, every tongue into the same place to worship King Jesus. That's what it's doing. The gospel is doing. And they're trying to limit it by saying that Jesus didn't come to fulfill. He came to destroy. And Jesus is fulfilling the law so that the Gentiles can come in. All the nations can come in. They don't have to look like Israel, talk like Israel, celebrate the things of Israel. They can come in and worship King Jesus. But let's twist it. Let's twist what is good. The world coming in to the kingdom of God is good. But let's twist it so that they can't, so that Jesus looks evil. And this is what the world does so well with Jesus. Because the devil does not want Jesus' truth to extend to the world, so he just twists it. says in verse 15, and man, come on, y'all, like, may we look like this. It says, verse 15, and all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Like, in your times of trials and temptations, in your times where the devil's, like, really getting you, what does your face look like? I mean, this is a good challenge for all of us. Like, what do we look, if you had the most powerful organization uh, or, or political body in the world in front of you, and they're, they're coming against you. Like, if you say you believe in God, they're going to kill you. You've got that in front of you. What's your face look like? You know what I'm saying? Like, they say that Christians back in the uh, mid, um, Middle Ages times, I think I'm right on that, <laughs> like 13th to 17th century, when they were killed for their faith, they would, they, would, uh, they would put them on a stake and burn them to death, right? Like the Christians. Uh, and they say that when they did that, the Christians, and there's differing reports, I get that. But for the majority, there's so many stories, especially about um, people that believed in baptisms, they would drown them. And now we get to celebrate baptisms. They were killed because they believed in baptisms, right? It's just just total shift. But when they were drowned and when they were put on stakes and burned, like they would continue praising God into their death. And I think about Stephen, and I'm like, man, this guy is like an, a face of an angel in front of them. Like, man, I, I hope my, my face looks something like an angel when I'm in this season of like persecution and trials and temptation, right? Because it's hard. It's hard. Life's, life's not easy. Temptations aren't easy. I think about when I think about the world, when I think about Afghanistan, when I think about the other 100,000 people that will die every year because of their faith, when I think about those things, I don't look at that and just be like, man, that's, that's probably really simple. Because if you're not full of grace and truth and wisdom and the Holy Spirit, when you face difficult seasons in your life, I don't think you look like Stephen. I think Stephen looks like an angel because he's got the Holy Spirit in him. I think it's because he's saturated his life with the gospel. He's been saturated in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when people come up against him, they can't stand up against him. He's sitting there looking like an angel. Like, how can you stand up against that? You know what I'm saying? 
Like, I hope that's what people see in us when they come up against us. They're like, how, how is he so, what's going on? Why is this guy happy? Why does this guy look like he still has so much grace and truth, right? Acts chapter 7, verse 1. Man, you see Jesus right here, right? Are these things true? The high priest asked. Are these things true? John 18. Jesus is on trial. He goes into chapter 19. And they ask him a specific question. After he talks about the kingdom of God, they say, what is truth? The same people who put Jesus on trial asked what is truth and now have put Stephen on trial and have said, is this, is this true? This Jesus of Nazareth, you believe he's God? You believe he's fulfilled the law and the commandments and all these things? You believe that this Jesus of Nazareth is really your Lord and Savior? What is truth? Man, I think that question alone is going to be so critical for the church in the coming years and coming generations of Christianity. Because when you ask what is truth right now, it's somewhat easy. We can say Jesus, he is the way, the truth, and the life. But there is going to be a day, and there is a day today all across the globe where when the question what is truth is asked, if you say Jesus, you're killed. And Stephen gives us this picture of how to have faith in the midst of it, grace in the midst of it, power in the midst of it. I mean, like, there's no, there's no easy way to talk about that kind of persecution, right? Like, there's no easy way to, to tell a church, man, you may die for your faith one day. Like, maybe not you, but your kids and your, the, your grandkids. And, man, that's, we're, we don't know where they're going to be called. We don't know where they're going to go do ministry. We don't know what country they'll wind up in. But the question is, no matter where you are and no matter who comes against you and no matter how difficult it is, whether it's making fun of, beating up, or murder, no matter what it is, will we stand firm? Because we are full of the Holy Spirit. And that question, what is truth? The only way that we can answer that is when we've already answered, what are you full of? Because if you're not full of the truth, when somebody asks you what is the truth, you can't give it. You can't give grace if you haven't experienced it, forgiveness if you haven't experienced it, the Holy Spirit if you haven't experienced it. You can't proclaim the gospel if you don't know it. What are you full of? And man, something silly is this. Like, I mean, to be fair to you, I don't even know if I said this to the service because I third service. If, if a pastor was on stage talking about this, I might think it's cheesy. I probably would. I might not come back to the church either, just to be fair. But in my mind, like, this is such a good reminder to me. Like, whatever you put in there is what comes out. And there's only one thing that can come out, whatever you put in. And I think it just reminds me, like, whatever I put in my life is what's going to come out. Whatever I see, smell, hear, touch, no matter what it is, it's what's going to come out. So if I'm not filling myself up with the Holy Spirit in His presence, allowing Him to move in my life, then when others come up to me and stand up against me, I can never stand up against them. I need the power, the wisdom the grace, the faith of the Holy Spirit in me. And you do too.
So as the worship team comes, I have two gospel responses for you. The first is this. What are you filling yourself up with? What are you filling that tank up with in your life, like your heart? What are you pouring into it? What are you investing in that heart and allowing to invest in it, to pour into your heart consistently day after day? It takes 10,000 reps. 10,000 times you have to do something to make it a habit. But once it's a habit, it's solidified. You do it over and over and over enough, something will become a habit in your life. That's what you filled up your tank with, and that's what will come out. There's some habits that need to be broken today. There's probably some habits that need to be given up. There's probably some tanks that are pretty empty. You haven't really been filling up that tank with the gospel, with God's word. Pretty empty. There's some people in here today that you've been surrounding yourself around. And and my second gospel response for you, who have you surrounded yourself with? Who are you allowing to pour into you? You see, because it's one thing to let yourself kind of draw things into your life. And then it's another thing to go, hey, I'm going to give you the opportunity to invest in me. I'm going to give you the opportunity to speak into me. What, What we put around us is going to fill us up with something. It's going to be pouring into us. Young adults, teenagers, kids, you haven't had 10,000 reps at this, at some things. You haven't had 10,000 reps. Parents and grandparents, you can change the course before that 10,000 reps. And I know I'm just using a number. But think about your life. Think about the trajectory you're headed on. Think about what you're allowing to fill yourself up because you're making habits. You're creating habits every single day with the disciplines you put in your life to create and fill up that tank, fill up that tank, fill up that tank so that every time it comes out, it comes out and it spreads into others. Sometimes it turns into anger. Sometimes it turns into love. Sometimes it turns into hate. Sometimes it turns into grace. Sometimes it's faith. Sometimes it's doubt. But my prayer and my hope for you is this, that whatever you're putting in your life, is going to be encouraging faith, hope, love, power, wisdom, not hate and evil, not doubt. So put people around you that have wisdom, biblical saturation, truth, hope, so that when they speak, they're just speaking and filling back up your tank. So church, an empty water gun doesn't get anybody wet. And you won't either, unless you are saturated in God's word and the Holy Spirit is in you. Let me pray for you. Father, you are truth. Your son is the way, the truth, and the life. I pray, God, this morning that you will convict us of what we haven't done and compel us to do what we should do. I pray, God, that you would move this church, scatter this church throughout this community into their families and friends and jobs. Scatter them to preach your word like Stephen and like the apostles. Would you fill up their tank, fill up their hearts? Would you give them what they need to be able to speak truth into the midst of so much lying and cheating and disruption and evil. 
I pray, Father, that you would help us to stand firm in the midst of whatever we face today, in the midst of our own persecution and temptation that we face, whatever that looks like for every person in this room. God, I pray that you would help us that the devil may not be able to stand up against us because of you in us, that we have the power and the armor that you mentioned in Ephesians so that nothing can stand up against us. Father, I pray strength over our people. Would you make us bold like Stephen, strong like Stephen, preaching like Stephen. And Father, at the end of the day, would you help us to look more like your son, like Stephen. We love you, Father, and we give you this time, work in our life. I ask, Father, if there's anybody in this room who doesn't believe in you, God, that you would make it so clear who your son is, as the savior of this world, who died on the cross, raised from the dead, and now has given us life because of it. So God, we give you this time. Hear our praises and hear our prayers. In your son's name, amen.
And just investing in Westminster Baptist Church, not as an uh, investment to us, but an investment to this community. Uh, I pray that you would get saturated in God's Word by joining a life group, Sunday school, or D group. If you haven't, talked to me. There's, there's some information about some life groups that are launching outside on the uh, Welcome Center. And uh, if you want to get in a D group, talk to me or talk to Pastor Glenn about a life group. Uh, hope to see you at Church Picnic next week. Again, remember, it'll be at this time. Uh, so as you go, we have a little gift for you. It's just a reminder uh, that when you're empty, you can't pour out. So have a great week. We'll see you later. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.